humble ourselves before you. We thank you for the passage of scripture that we're about to study, Lord. God, we pray that it would be food for our soul. God, we don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God, I pray today that we'll lay aside all malice, guile, hypocrisy, and evil speaking. And as newborn babes, Lord, God, may we desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. If indeed we have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Lord, your word is living and it's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's a discerner of our thoughts and the intents of our heart. Father, we thank you that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for teaching, for instruction, for correction, for reproof. God, I pray today that we will be thoroughly equipped as your servants because we came and studied and applied the truth that's put before us today, Lord. God, we thank you for the incredible epistle to the Roman church, Lord. And God, may we see it as a God-sent love letter to North Valley Bible Church. And God, may we see it as a letter sent to each one of us individually, God. Your voice is still speaking. The writer of Hebrews quoted the psalmist when he said, Today... If you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. God, I pray that we will receive with meekness the engrafted, the implanted word into our hearts today. God, that we will come to this text with humility. And God, it will teach us how to live out our Christian life. We pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn, if you will, to the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. What a glorious triumph from the person who was struggling with his flesh to overcome sin without being regenerated. And coming to this realization that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak, through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the carnally minded or the fleshly minded, those who live in an unregenerated state, it is death 
But to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, the result, those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. You can be seated. What a wonderful passage. You know, I really don't need to preach anything, do I? I mean, it said it all. And so we're just going to kind of go through and glean some of the beautiful fruit that's hanging off this branch. Man, this is a great chapter. The healthy, growing, dynamic life of a Christian. That's what we see pictured here. This should be the normal Christian life. I don't have my lapel pin or lapel mic, so I'm going to be anchored here this morning. So that's going to be, I, I know it, but I don't have time to put that yoke on. <laughs> but anyway, we must be deeply convinced of the total depravity of flesh. Man is morally depraved. And we need to be convinced of that if we are going to understand the role of the Holy Spirit. Because the law has absolutely no power to change our corrupted flesh. The law is unable to do it. So, teenagers, I want you to remember this this morning. The victorious Christian life is directly related to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and our consistent walking under its or His influence. Let me say that again. The victorious Christian life, it is directly related to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and our consistent walking by His influence. Paul has met every detractor, every objection to justification by faith alone. They have hit Paul with every single question, and he has given an answer to every one of them. Justification can't be by faith alone, because then it would entice us just to sin more. And Paul has answered that with an emphatic, may it never be. How are we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? He's met the objection that if we're under grace, that sin will just simply abound even more and more and more. Because he said where sin abounds, grace superabounds. And then he gives the illustration of a slave. And you and I, by grace, have been set free from the slave of sin. It's no longer our master. And we have a new master. He's answered that question. He's answered the question, well, you're implying that the law must be 
defective. There's something wrong with God's holy, moral, just, and good law that we Jewish people have cherished for thousands of years. And Paul says, no, the law is just, the law is holy, and the law is good. There's nothing defective with the law. The law points out your defects. That's the problem. So Paul has met every objection that justification has to be by faith alone. And in chapter 8, he gives the clearest fulfillment of how it is possible to live out this Christian life. There's two things that make it possible. Sinners can only be forgiven if every righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled. Paul said, I thought the law was unto life. Deuteronomy 4.1 Hear, O Israel, the laws and the statutes, that you may observe them and do them and that you might live. And yet Paul found those very commandments to give life. He found them to bring death because it says in Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things written in the book of the law to do them. James chapter 2 and verse 10 says that if we keep all the law yet offend in one point, we are guilty of all sin. All the law. We've broken all of it in essence. So why is justification by faith the only way that we can be forgiven? Because it's the only way that you can have all the righteous requirements fulfilled, imputed to you based on the complete righteousness of Jesus. And the second reason is, by faith is the only way you and I can partake of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in John chapter 7, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The only way you and I can have the impartation of the Holy Spirit, and the only way you and I can have perfect righteousness, is through faith alone. So this morning, if you have, have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have complete righteousness. God sees you as without any condemnation. He sees you as acquitted, free from guilt, free from God's judgment, free from His wrath. The law works wrath. It had nothing to do with producing righteousness. And so Paul begins right there. There's no condemnation because every righteous requirement, every single jot, every single tittle of the law, Jesus fulfilled it meticulously. Jesus fulfilled the moral law. Jesus fulfilled the dietary law. And he fulfilled the social laws of Israel. Didn't violate a single one of them. Lived them out perfectly. He said in Matthew chapter 5, at the beginning of his earthly ministry, he says, think not that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill it. For not one single jot or one single tittle will pass from the law until all of it is fulfilled. And he says, whoever teaches you to break one of these laws will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever teaches you to observe them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter into heaven. So Jesus was presenting you and I with an impossible way of getting into heaven 
by works. He was presenting you and I an impossible way ever to be justified apart from faith in His finished work. There's no condemnation for you and I because all of the righteous requirements were fulfilled for us. You can't condemn somebody who has done everything correctly. And Christ did everything correctly. So we have a new identity. Let's look at the text. There is therefore now no condemnation. And it's for who? To those who are two things that he gives, two criteria, those who are in Christ Jesus and those who are walking according to the Spirit. Those are believers. If you are in Christ Jesus this morning, you have the Holy Spirit. You have a new identity. You are in Christ. In fact, Paul goes on to say in this passage later on, if you don't have the Spirit, then you don't belong to Him. So every one of you this morning has the Holy Spirit. Every one of us has the capacity to live a victorious Christian life because it's directly related to how you walk in accordance with the Holy Spirit's leading and directing and your total submission to following His dictates in your life. Every one of us, every one of us are in Christ. It's a new relationship. In Christ, our old man and the law have been terminated in Christ. It's our union with Christ. Our old man was crucified with him, Romans 6.4. Our relationship to the law was terminated when we died to it. Romans 7, 4. So we are in Christ. Our text is going to, we're going to stay right here in Romans, but I, I want to just look at two passages to describe being in Christ and what that looks like. So let's turn over to the book of Ephesians, a couple books over. We have the first and second Corinthians, then we've got Galatians and Ephesians. So let's quickly turn over there. Let's get familiar with where our New Testament books are, if you're not, this is good practice for us. So Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to stress the words in Him, because this is our relationship. Our relationship is in Him. There's no condemnation for those who are in Him. In fact, the words in Him are used 11 times in 13 verses. Paul's trying to tell something about being in Him. Verse 11, in Him, in Jesus, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ, there it is again, should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted. Now when is a person placed in Christ? It's after you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in Him, also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So when you are in Christ, you are walking in the Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit, and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit's not going to leave you. We have everything 
that we need to live the victorious Christian life. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are in Christ Jesus. Let's turn to another passage. A couple books over after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. One more phrase to look at what it means to be in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2, 9 through 13. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him... This is talking about Jesus again, and this is our new relationship. You and I are in him, for in him, that is Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And what about you and I? You and I are complete. Where? In him, who's the head of all principality and power. Verse 11, in him... You were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And what does that look like? Putting off the body of sins of the flesh. You and I are no longer walking in the flesh. Let's get this in our minds. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh. That is no longer you and I, but walk in accordance, walk in harmony with the Holy Spirit. That's who we are. A new relationship is what Paul is getting at. Let's go down to the last phrase of verse 13. He made us alive together with him. Look at this page. This this is fantastic news. Having forgiven you all trespasses. There is therefore now no condemnation, is there? All trespasses have been forgiven. We are in Christ. We have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. So, no condemnation because we have a new identity. Now, why do we have a new identity? Let's look at verse 2. The word for connects it to chapter to verse 1, doesn't it? For, here's the reason why. It's because we are operating under a new law. Those who are in Christ are operating under a new principle. The word law here doesn't mean the Torah. It means a governing, operating principle that guides your life. Did you get that? You have a new guiding principle in your life today. If you are in Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit. Why? For the law of the Spirit, it's an objective genity that produces life. What has it done? It has made me and you free from the law of sin and death. So we are operating under a completely new principle that's governing our life. It's the spirit that is producing life. We are no longer under the letter of the law. We are fulfilling the spirit of the law through Christ's Holy Spirit that dwells in us. So the first man, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, the first Adam, he was a life Uh, um, giving soul the second Adam, Jesus he was a life giving spirit that's what we are in Christ we are living in a completely new era and that new era began 
at the cross. And Jesus promised the advent of the Holy Spirit. And so we are living under a new covenant, aren't we? That new covenant is explained in Jeremiah 31, 31, where the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us and it writes the law not on tablets of stone. It writes it on the fleshly tablets of our hearts. There's no condemnation. We have the Holy Spirit. We are in Christ. We're under a new governing principle that guides our lives. How did God do that? I mean, this is a miracle, isn't it? God takes something that is rotten and he makes it beautiful. He takes ashes and he takes it and he molds it into something wonderful. How did God do that? Verse 3 tells us, notice the word for, it's going to explain how God does this. For what the law could not do. And we talked about what the law could not do, didn't we? The law could not give victory over sin. The law pointed out our sin. The law could not produce holiness. In fact, the law stimulated our fleshly carnal desires. The law makes it possible to count up all the transgressions. You can see how many times you fail. That's what the law could do. The law was weak. Was the law defective? We already talked about that. No, the law was in no way defective. Let's go over to 713. Chapter 7 of Romans, verse 13. Has what then was good become death to me? That's talking about the law. Was God using something that was good, the law, to bring death to me? Certainly not. But God was using the law. How? But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. So God did for you and I what the law could not do. And why could the law not fulfill what it promised to do? It's because, the text tells us, because of the weakness through the flesh. You and I are imperfect beings. And when man sinned, he cast us out of a perfect garden and sin entered the world and we have a nature that's different from Adam's with the minute Adam sinned his nature changed he knew something was amiss didn't he as soon as he had sinned he knew it what did he do he ran he hid and he covered up and that is the history of mankind we lie, we hide, and we cover up. And you and I are in this condition. And we're living in a world that's under God's curse. And this world is ruled by a little g-god named Satan. He is the god of this age. No wonder man fouls up, right? And so what the law could not do, because we have all those things against us, and there's no way you and I can be perfect. So the law was weak through our flesh, so God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Christ was tested and tempted in all points just as we are, it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, yet without sin. So this is how God did it. He did it 
by bringing his son to a flawed humanity in our likeness so that he might condemn sin in the flesh. He crucified it. He condemned all the guilt that was belonging to you and I. Now, what is the result? The result of all this is found in verse 4. So by Jesus doing all that, here is the result, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Isn't that an amazing verse? Every single thing that the law demands for you, it has been fulfilled because Christ fulfilled it down to the very minutia for you and I. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see your flawed flesh. He sees a person who has been righteous because God's righteousness has been put to our account by trusting what Jesus did on our behalf. This is so simple, but it is so profound. And that's why you and I can gladly say there's no condemnation. I have the Holy Spirit. I have everything necessary to live out a victorious Christian life because the law has no dominion over me. It is not my pedagogue. It's not my master. It's not my guide to produce righteousness. The Spirit of Christ, who is God in our dwelling, in our, in our home, in our body, that's how we live out the Christian life. So Paul's point isn't that we have sinless perfection. His point is the law demands loving obedience, and it's fulfilled. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Those two laws are the consummation of every commandment in the Old Testament. And Christ fulfilled them. And the Holy Spirit lives in our hearts and gives us a longing and a desire to love God and to love people. I found this poem this week that I wanted to share with you. To run and work... The law commands, yet gives me neither feet nor hands. But better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. I thought that summed it up so well. The author is unknown, whoever wrote that. Now, the next section Paul is going to look at 5 through 9. We have a new mind. Salvation gives us a new mind mind a new thought pattern verses 5 through 9 for those who live according to the flesh what do they do they set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit the things of the spirit for to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God, it's not subject to the law of God, neither can it be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now he's talking about an unbeliever there. In verse 7, the carnal mind. In verse 8, he's talking about an unbeliever, those who are in the flesh. Because you remember, we are no longer walking according to the flesh. We are walking according to the Spirit. So we have a new mind. Our chief concern 
Our chief concern isn't observing the law any longer. Our chief concern is setting our minds on the things of the Holy Spirit. That's a, it's a complete... Oh, I can't think of the right word. Oh, it's a, a, what do you call it when you, when you, when you have a, a pattern of thought? Uh, oh, I'm just drawing a total blank here. A paradigm shift. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> you have a complete paradigm that's changed. And now our minds are not focusing on the law. And, and as believers, sometimes we do that. And this sounds so simple, but it's, it's so profound. Our focus needs to be on the Holy Spirit's indwelling and how He wants us to respond. Because our, our minds, our thoughts, they're mutually exclusive. This morning, Brother Rick came in and he and I were having a conversation. And then my wife interjected some things I was supposed to do with the music. I couldn't entertain two thoughts at one time. I don't have that ability. And unfortunately, I turned Rick off, but I had to turn my wife on. <laughs> Amen, brother. I was talking with Ben yesterday, and he, he's left for something he had to go do, but he and I were in the parking lot, and we were talking about reading the Bible. And I said, Ben, this morning... I said, I read three chapters in the book of Revelation. But I was thinking about something else the entire time, and I can't tell you one word that I read. Have you ever done that? That's because God has designed us that way. And in the spiritual principle as found in verse 5, those who live according to the flesh, this is the paradigm that they're living in. This is the pattern of their life. They set their minds. The word to set your mind, it's a Greek word. It's a compound word. It's to place something under and then arrange all your life in accordance to it. It's a military term. And you're to place your life under a superior and then order out all of your steps according to what that superior tells you to do. You're a subordinate. And when you are in the flesh, we are subordinate to it, and we arrange all of our thoughts in accordance in that pattern, and that's what we're going to do. But here is the good news. The second half of this verse. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the Spirit. You set your minds and order out your life. And if you ever want to know when you're getting into the flesh, all you have to do is go over to Galatians chapter 5 and look what the works of the flesh are like. The works of the flesh want immediate gratification. The works of the flesh put other things ahead of God. And the works of the flesh are quickly angered and come to a boiling point quickly. The flesh is just the opposite. I mean, the spirit. And so that's a, a great way of knowing, okay, where am I going? Where's my thoughts? What am I submitting to? And, and, and Paul goes on to say that 
the results are just going to follow. Look at verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death. The, the results are just going to follow. Whatever you set your mind on, that's the way you're going to go. But to be spiritually minded, two things about the spiritually minded is life and it's peace. Those two things. What does Paul mean by life? The Spirit produces life. That means we are acquitted. We are no longer under guilt. We have complete righteousness. That's what it means. That's what the Spirit gives us. Not only does the Spirit give us life, but it gives us peace. Peace is the conscious awareness and complete contentment that I am in fellowship with God. So that's what happens when you set your mind on the things of the Spirit. You are alive. You have a new spiritual awareness. Every one of you, I hope you understand what I'm talking about. The day that you asked Jesus Christ to save you, the day that you placed your faith in Jesus, something miraculous happened. You were made alive. You had a new spiritual awareness. Everyone that's given their testimony, when they've come and committed themselves to North Valley Bible Church, have had that moment in their life where they knew that they were lost, and they knew that Jesus Christ had given them a new spiritual awareness. And then with that comes peace, this incredible contentment that I am in a restored relationship with God. And that's what happens when you set your mind, it just naturally follows why? Verse 7 and 8. Because the law has no power to change a carnal mind. The unsaved cannot submit, can't arrange their lives under the things of God. The unsaved person cannot please God. Now, I want to take a, a, just a slight detour here because this verse has been used incorrectly many times, and I just want to give a correct understanding here. This verse, verse 8, 8, 8, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This verse has been used to teach that a lost person cannot confess they need a Savior. That is an incorrect use of this verse, and it's used by, that, by, by the vast majority of, 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 of Christian pastors. They, they, they take this verse and take... The implication, well, if you're in the flesh, believing God is something that will please him. Therefore, you can't do that. That does not follow from this, and that's not even what Paul is going. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say I'm out in the ocean, and I'm drowning, and I can't swim. Here's, here's, the, here's the analogy that they give. You are under the law. You can't keep the law. You're told to believe. Therefore, you can't believe. That's what is taught from this verse. And, it's, and that Paul's going nowhere in that verse. Maybe you've never heard that before, and hopefully you haven't. But just next time you hear a, a, a teaching or, or something on the radio or YouTube or a preaching message and somebody uses that verse, this is not what Paul is teaching here. He's teaching that you and I can accept the very remedy that God sends us. You remember? In chapter 6, where Paul says that we are slaves to sin, 
A slave doesn't mean that you don't have the ability to admit that you're a slave. Because the very next verse says, You obeyed the form of doctrine that was delivered to you, and you became slaves of righteousness. So let me finish my illustration. The guy who can't swim, he's floundering out in the ocean. And the guy from the boat says, Swim to the boat. But you can't swim. So what does he do? He chucks out a life preserver to you. Grab the life preserver. No, I I can't swim, so I can't go to the boat. Therefore, I can't grab a hold of this life preserver and be saved. That's in amount what what that would be teaching. So Paul is not going there. That's not his thoughts. His thought is, though, that the carnal mind cannot change. It can't change in and of itself without the gospel, without the good news. Because verse 9 says, but you are not in the flesh. In fact, it's emphatic. He's talking about a new Christian here. Believers have the Spirit, hence we are alive through the Spirit. Believers are in direct contrast with those in the flesh. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Why do I need His guidance? He is so clear here. Why do I need it? Because the carnal mind is death. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal mind cannot submit to the things of the God. The carnal mind cannot please God. So Paul is, all he's doing here is emphasizing why we have to be justified by faith. That's his argument. He's setting up the impossibility for us to do it any other way. To live the Christian life can only be done through the Holy Spirit because in your flesh you are hopelessly, pathetically striving and striving and striving and never able to accomplish it. So verse 9, But you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. So let's just stop right there and let's try to understand what that phrase is talking about. The Holy Spirit authenticates our experience. Christianity is not a checklist. Christianity is not a to-do list. Christianity is a living, vital relationship that you can walk and talk and commune with God. But you are not in the flesh. If so, be the Spirit of God dwells. The word dwell comes from the root word house. Oikos is the word for house. And this is the word oikao, which means to come and live in your house. The Holy Spirit is just to be at home in you, to reside in you. Now, this is all day long. You know, my wife and I, we, we live under the same roof. And we're walking and we're communing. We have fellowship all day long together. Unless I bring the dog in the house. <laughs> and then I'm in the dog house. <laughs> then I'm in the flesh. I'm not walking in the spirit anymore. <laughs> but this is the picture that Paul is giving us. You sit down and you read your Bible because you want to talk to Jesus. You pray and you're laying in bed because you want to commune with the Lord. You're in a difficult situation and you know you can't handle it and you want to give it to Christ. That's what it means just to walk and to live in the Holy Spirit. And that's who you and I are. It's not this list of rules and regulations. 
Christ has fulfilled all of them anyway. The second thing that he's saying is that and Christ and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. Now, I had to really think about what that was talking what, what, what meant what was meant by that phrase this, this week. And I, I may may have it completely wrong, but I I, I think what the Holy Spirit is, is saying through that verse is that the reality for every sinner that Christ has to be in us. It has to be Christ in you. We are in Christ. Why? Because the body is dead because of sin. I can't rely on it at all. The body is dead. The body can only convict. You and I are in these physical bodies that are destined for the grave. It has to be Christ in you because the body, our mortal person, our flesh, it's dead because of sin. It's not alive. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And he's made us alive in Christ Jesus. So it has to be Christ in you. Because the body is dead because of sin. And then what happens to the spirit though? But the spirit is life because of righteousness. The only way that we can be alive is to be righteous. The only way to be righteous is through Christ. The only way to be righteous is by faith in his finished, completed work. Through the Holy Spirit. Verse 11 now. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee that the mortal body of sin will one day be gone. Verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Through His Spirit who dwells in you, every believer has the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit right now. The Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it dwells in you. It's at home with you. You are in the Spirit. You are walking according to the Spirit. So every believer has the power of the resurrection and dwelling in you. Paul said this in Philippians. He says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. So we have this indwelling in us. That's the first part. So there's an eschological effect of having the Holy Spirit, but there's also a practical present application of having the Holy Spirit. We can live by the Holy Spirit's resurrection power. And the same Spirit that raised Christ, it will one day raise our mortal bodies. That's an eschological, that's an end times promise. While we live in these sin-decaying bodies, we are promised that these bodies that are destined for physical death will be raised in the exact same manner that Jesus' body was raised. We were not created to live 
in sin. That was never God's intention in the garden. We were never created to experience death. That was never God's intentions. God had a plan, however, before the foundation of the world that he would send Christ to redeem both of those things. We don't have to let sin dwell in our mortal bodies. And these mortal bodies are going to be resurrected and we will experience death never again. So how do I have the victorious Christian life? The first thing that I need to understand is that I am in a complete new relationship with God. That new relationship has eradicated all condemnation. You can have communion with God anytime, anywhere, because there's no condemnation. Everything that God required for you, God fulfilled it. You are now under a new guiding principle in your life. The guiding principle of your life is the spirit which gives life. I have the ability to set my mind on the things of the spirit. Before I was saved, I had no capacity to do that. I did not, did not have the Holy Spirit. You didn't have the Holy Spirit. Your mind was in enmity with God. Now, that doesn't mean you can't call out for help like that drowning man. It doesn't mean you can't grab the life preserver and put it on and get pulled into the boat. But if you keep on swimming, you're not going to make it. You and I can put on the mind of the Spirit. We can set our minds. We can choose to order our lives under the subordination of the Holy Spirit and walk in accordance with Him. And thirdly, we know that the Holy Spirit authenticates this genuine relationship of intimacy. And if anybody does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. Don't look to it. But the Spirit is life because you have been made righteous. Let's close with prayer. Father, this is a simple, simple teaching. And God, it is so life-changing if we will just get our minds around it. That I can set my mind on the things of the Spirit. And when I do, it produces life. It produces a spiritual awareness. It produces a recognition when I start to flirt with sin. And it also gives me incredible peace. It gives me a contentment. It gives me an assurance that I am His and He is mine. Thank you, Father God, for when we believed, you sealed us with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Thank you, God, that when we are in Christ, you have forgiven us all trespasses. We're not in the flesh. We don't walk according to the flesh. We walk in accordance with your spirit. Father, today I pray that God, that this simple truth will just cause us this week to get up every morning with a completely shift in our mind.
that we get up every day and we say to ourselves, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ that dwells in me, I am going to set my mind. I am going to walk in subordination and I'm going to line my steps up with you this day, Lord. And God, I pray that any time Anytime that old, wretched flesh tries to show its head, God, that the Holy Spirit will just wave red flags to us. May we ask you to do that, Lord. May you just sign, sound the warning bells when, when the flesh is starting to, to rear its ugly, carnal, enmity, unsubmissive head. May we just... next chapter tells us what to do. It tells us to mortify it, put it to death by the Holy Spirit. Thank you in Jesus' name for this victory that we can walk in and live in. Amen.